Hi, I'm David Ajala, and I play Cleveland Booker on Star Trek Discovery, and you're listening to Thinking Outside of the Long Box. Hey everybody, welcome to this interview episode of Thinking Outside the Long Box. As always, I'm Gabe, and today we have with us Osric Chow. Uh, You probably remember him as a prophet in Supernatural, which is why we contacted him after our four-episode run of Supernatural Talk, but he was also in Dirt Gently's Holistic Detective Agency, which has become one of Doyle's favorites and something that we're all getting pretty excited to watch uh, in an upcoming episode as well, too. So, Osric, how are you today, man? (laughs) I'm doing well. I'm a little sleepy. I woke up. Yeah. <laughs> I just woke up. I should have I should have set my alarm a little earlier, but I, Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> I if it was up to me, I would probably wake up at noon every day, but I have dogs that want to be fed at 5, so <laughs> there's that. <Fair> enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, Osric, of course, you know, we're having you on the show today cuz we spent basically two hours talking about the full run of Supernatural and you play a very important role in Supernatural as one of the prophets. As we start, let's start with just kind of how did you end up on the show? Like what was that, what was that experience like? Uh, I mean, it it was a normal audition um, just like anything else. The only big difference for me was that I was on my way to LA to do a, an even bigger audition for another show for series regular. And so I actually didn't want to do the audition for Kevin Tran. There's a lot of things involved, um, but I basically had to change my flight. It cost me 600 bucks. All of a sudden this, it was a $600 audition. And that, you know, I don't, the idea of paying for an audition was just weird back then. And, and so I just kind of chalked it up I'm like, okay, this is an investment in myself, even though I don't really want it because it's, you know, I have this other one that's way bigger and Kevin Trent, honestly, that first episode, he was such a stereotypical character, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, I don't want to play this stereotypical Asian character. And due to my agent's recommendation, I did it anyways, uh, got offered the role of Kevin Trent, got offered the role for the other one. I declined Supernatural to do the other one because I could only do one. Turns out it was the same business affairs person. They're like, we're not going to lose an actor to our own show. So they ended up trying to make it work. The other show actually didn't end up getting picked up. So I completely lucked out and um, didn't really know anything about Supernatural. You know, did my first couple of days on set. Everyone was like warning me. It's like, oh, you're going to get it. You're going to like, you're going to hear about all these things. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm just here to do my job. And and sure enough, my my life gets flipped over on its head within a couple of months. <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing, like kind of looking at the fandom that developed over, you know, 15 years of the show. You know, I was when I we were interviewing Jim yesterday, we were I was talking about how my daughter basically grew up watching the television show. She was three when it started coming out. You know, when you've, you know basically been accosted for lack of a better term by the fan base you know and i don't mean that in a negative way it was maybe sometimes it is but like the fans are very devoted to the show i'm sure that you're aware that there's fan fiction of you shipping with other people like has there been any awkward 
moment where somebody's like, oh my gosh, I were, wish you were with this character on the show and it just made you feel a little awkward. <laughs> uh, no, thankfully for me, my roommates at the time were pretty hardcore Supernatural fans. I didn't realize that until after the show premiered for me, which was pretty hilarious, you know, to start noticing like posters of Jared and Jensen and Misha on the walls <laughs> and like never like completely ignoring them prior. But no, I, I, I've never had that. Like I was aware of fan fiction because they told me about it and I like glanced it up briefly at the beginning just because I was curious. And then I had to stop very quickly <laughs> and uh <laughs> It's it's not you know it's 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 fiction. It's for people to play around with in their imaginations. And I you know I I don't need to be involved in that. I'm totally happy to let people do, like I've certainly done my fair share of it. So I I encourage people to do it. In fact, I I think it's a a great exercise for creativity and just having an outlet. <laughs> <laughs> so you know obviously this is a a huge show. You know, it's it's been on for more than a decade. You know, as it's wrapping up, you're coming to these final episodes that kind of bring a lot of the previous characters back into the season so that they can kind of have a final farewell. And in the, you know, the Raising Hell episode, you know, you kind of had a little bit of that opportunity and everybody kind of had those sorts of opportunities. You know, as you're looking back on the on the end of the show, what are some of the, you know, kind of feelings that you have towards, you know, what it's done for you or like, you know, the experience overall? I mean, it's, you know, it's been a, a roller coaster ride since that first day. Um, but for sure, it, it, it's by far and large a positive to my life. Like it, it has changed my life in so many ways. Um, and I, you know, I was not ready for any of it. Um, but like everything else, you kind of figure it out. You know, you, uh, you fall on your fl- face sometimes. But, you know, my, my career has taken off in ways that I had only ever hoped before, but I never knew how or, or if it was even possible. Um, and I'm in a place right now that I'm, you know, I'm starting to put the pieces together for the next thing or maybe the next phase of my career. And I never thought I would be in this position either. So it, it's been only fond memories, like with the cast and crew, you know, every time I got back to that set, it was such a warm, fuzzy feeling. And I never thought I would have that feeling for a job. You know, it, certainly not in this industry where it felt like, oh, this is, this is a place you go back to. This is a, that feeling of, of home. And I, I certainly got that on this set, just like having seen, these people for like a period of six six years, but like spread out over wait. I was on season seven, eight years in total, I guess. <laughs> yeah, which is such a weird thing to think about. Eight years. It's like a, a huge stretch. amount of time. Yeah, so it's definitely the longest standing job that I've ever had, like throughout the largest period of time. Um, and yeah, it's just weird to see people grow up and change and. You know, you you grow together, you grow apart. It, it's this big, crazy family that, you know, everyone's going, doing their own thing. So it, it's just nice to check in every now and again. And this is a group that does check in every now and again. It's like, where is everyone at? 
you know, and if someone's not doing well, we'll do our best to prop them up. And, you know, it, it's such a loving, supporting group that I'm so fortunate to be a part of. Well, that's that's awesome to hear. Like everybody that we've talked to about the show always mentions the word, word family, which I think is, is really cool and a little, you know, Fast and the Furious, but still really cool, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you had mentioned that originally you you weren't interested in taking the role because you were afraid of, you know, kind of portraying like a, a, a racial stereotype for your character. You know, what are some of the things that that you feel you can you know, do with a role like this and, you know, push into better representation and less stereotyping for, you know, just anybody. I, well, again, over the course of eight years, like I've, I've come from a very, very green actor to a slightly less green actor. (laughs) (laughs) I still have plenty to learn, but I, I feel like, especially at the beginning, it was such an odd thing thing to to be in a position where I had a choice right you know I was starving for work I I just needed to you know I just I needed to get on set and get some more experience and so like it wasn't if I didn't have the other one I it wouldn't have even been a question right but like upon reflection if I'm reading the thing and like really analyzing this character like I wouldn't have gone that way with him and originally it was only a three episode arc right so it was cool but it's you know he lived and died a stereotype the fact that they didn't kill him they changed their mind this is maybe a for me it's a credit to the writer for them maybe it's a credit to me i don't know maybe the fan base who who took to the kevin i don't know how quickly that happens but the fact that they let him live for as long as he did and then kept him around even further like we got to see the stereotypes and then we got to know him enough to see everything else as well. You know, and I think that's something really cool for any minority character or, or stereotype is like, we are stereotypes. They comes from a place of truth, but that's not all we are. So don't kill us before we get a chance to see all, all the other <laughs> layers that we, we know are present. That's, that's awesome. Like it, it, it's interesting to think about that because, you know, often with a a movie, you only get like this tiny glimpse of like a character because you can't expand it. But with a television show, you can, you can create that bigger, wider arc and it's, it's pretty cool. Um, So one of the most entertaining things about any story arc that you're a part of is the actress that plays your mother on the show is she as funny <laughs> in real life as she is on the show? Because she has some of the absolute best lines ever. <laughs> yeah. Lauren. I mean, I think the first thing that's going to really like draw you in from Lauren is her laugh. Like she's got the best laugh ever. Um, she's hilarious. And, you know, she's like a, a legend in my community. She's been around for so long. She's done so many iconic characters and roles. I grew up watching her, all the cartoons that she she's done voices for, right? So like her voice is so familiar to me that it's, you know, it's kind of weird at first. Um, but yeah, she's, she's hilarious. She's great. She's super quirky and neurotic in her own way. Um, <laughs> but she definitely holds her own. <laughs> so Speaking of animation, you have worked on things like Tokyo Ghoul and Naruto and stuff like that. What, what's it like working on, on anime 
you know, that also has that same kind of like rabid fan base sometimes. Well, so that's with a, a YouTube group called uh, Re- Reanime. And we have very ambitious plans for what we're going to do. But the idea is like we weren't happy with the anime adaptations that were put out. And we just want to do our own thing. So in a sense, that is our fan fiction. Right. right? That These are our fan films that we want to put our own iterations on. And um, and I love Naruto. I'm, I'm re-watching Naruto right now. Like it's Naruto really was was the person who raised me. <laughs> you know, it's 15 years of my life. It lasted as long as Supernatural. That's what I grew up watching, Naruto. And it's these very simple themes of, you know, hard work begets the genius. You have the the smart choice versus the empathetic one, seemingly stupid empathetic one. And I always try to work hard work harder than the people who are protégés or geniuses. I always try to be the empathetic person, even if it might seem stupid, because I watched Naruto growing up. And those are the lessons that I learned. And I never want to be that person that can't see the good in someone, even if they're about to like literally eat your face. Um, I just don't want to be that person who can't do that. And so it is certainly changed my life in so many ways and honestly now that i'm rewatching it in more profound ways than i thought and um and in doing these live action adaptations it's it's for me it's just about capturing that that soul that essence of an anime um while creating more content and just celebrating it with fans so this is just going to be a bit of an opinion. There's, I, I'm a huge Rurouni Kenshin fan. Like, you know, that's kind of my Naruto is when I was younger, that was one of my big time jams. And they've uh, since gone and made a bunch of live action Kenshin movies, which are actually really pretty good. And there's kind yeah. of this trend towards that uh, for the show right now, we're watching Alice in Borderland, which is based on a manga. You know, how do you feel about, you know, manga and anime being, you know, kind of morphed into live action. Like, what what are kind of some of your opinions on that? There's a part of me that thinks, no, don't touch it. Let Just let it be pure. And then there's the other part of me that is just starving for more content and and hoping that this will kind of allow more mainstream audiences to kind of be introduced to it. That being said, like, it's such a hard thing to do to to not only appease your current fan base, but to also attract a new one. It's such a nice balance, like fine balance that you have to, to, to figure out. Um, I don't think it's impossible. I, I just think, you know, when you bring it to the scale that a lot of them have to be in order for them to actually pull it off because of, you know, anime is insane the production value that you need is so expensive and so to get it to that scale you actually have to take fairly huge amounts of risks if you're going like the full fandom route but if you're going like the safety and you're going all these reputable people who may not have any idea of anime or what it means and they just like okay i'll read like the bare amount of manga or watch the key episodes and they'll you know catch me up like there's got to be a balance somewhere where it doesn't have to be all one way where it's like okay these are super fans but they have no idea how to execute they don't know the system they don't know how to play with the studios or the networks or anything 
or it's the entire the other way where it's like these are professional filmmakers they don't know what they're doing but they they forget where they the heart and soul of this anime just completely goes over their head and they keep the wrong things um and they knock out things that are like so important that might seem like so dumb to to an audience member and so i think it's finding that balance that's so hard to do if they can do it right then i'm all for it if they don't I hope it introduces new fans to the, you know, to the anime, to the manga, but the current fans will probably just not watch it. So, I, you know, I, I, I never want to dissuade anyone from trying. Obviously, there is there's a certain point when when it gets to like, oh, you're definitely um, pandering too hard and it's not working and please stop. So I think it really depends on on intentions and just how the whole thing comes together. And being anime fans, you know, we're, we we watch because it doesn't happen that often. Like we watch every step of the way. All right. <laughs> so to some degree, like I just want the fandom to grow much like the Comic-Con world has kind of grown into the mainstream now. Like I would like that for anime. I think it's it's such a massive thing that we're all part of that you know it's still relegated to our our basements you know in the figurative (laughs) sense it feels like you know we we can't outwardly fully express it except at an anime convention or online so (laughs) i would love for the point where it just gets a little bigger so people feel more comfortable just going out there and celebrating their fandom it's awesome for me literally it is in my basement so (laughs) (laughs) um so Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency may be one of the most obscure IPs in science fiction literature possible because like Douglas Adams wrote, you know, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, which was massive. And then Dirk Gently's is just this like over here, bizarre. I mean, I feel like I'm one of the only people that I know that's read the book, <laughs> you know, like I've never, really, I only have one other friend that I know that we've even talked about it. What's it like trying to explain to people what the show is about and like where it came from? <laughs> I, I remember this was a whole process that we all had to learn because we were like, ah, oh, it's about a detective, but he's not really good at anything, but he just like fought like, he gets feelings. He gets like these notions that he just follows and that leads him to other accidents and happenstances that lead him to eventually solving whatever case that he's on. Um, and then there's a bunch of characters. It's so hard to explain. It's just so quirky and crazy. And even I remember when when I got the job, me and the Rowdy Three, we they set up a meeting for everyone to get, get together and meet and none of us knew how to say our lines we're like, we're like wow we have dialogue but they're just like random words to us we just did not understand it and the writer just like sat us down with the director who also had no clue um and they just like explained to us the entire concept of the show all of our characters like a five season arc uh, over the course of hours and it was just like the most amazing and fascinating thing ever yeah, Mac, Max did such a great job with a- adapting this show. And it was one of those shows that we, we just got so excited to read the script. Like, I've never been on a set where people were that excited to read the next script. And this includes, like, 
like the stunt coordinator. He's like, I never read scripts, but for this show, I just have to. <laughs> you know, like there's so many stories about people reading the script. Uh, who's it? They're they're talking about Rain Wilson. They're they're trying to get Rain Wilson in, and they're like, Oh man, we're close. Like he's 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 asking for more scripts. And by the time we, he got to the sixth episode, they're like, Okay, like we need to know, are you going to do this show or not? He's like. No, I just want to know how it ended. <laughs> he was just asking for the scripts to make his decision. He's like, there's no way I can do the show because of schedule. But I just, I wanted to read it. <laughs> so the, the book is crazy. The show is also crazy. There's a part of me that has been curious, like ever since watching it, did the director like want you to work absent of knowledge of the book or did he encourage you guys to read the book because i feel like reading the book would almost i mean could potentially make things more confusing now that i really think about it a lot (laughs) yeah i mean we knew there was a book but we also knew that it was only loosely based off of the book right (laughs) so when when talking to max he he was saying like we're, we're not doing a straight up adaptation we're doing an adaptation in the style of douglas adams he's like there's no way we can do an adaptation of a douglas adams things because he has so many details in there and if you try to put all the things you're going to leave out a lot and it's going to feel like half of what it could or should be and it's not gonna be a good tv show he's like so the best we can do in my opinion is to do it in the style of douglas adams with the pieces and all the things that you create for your own show um and so with that said we didn't read the books um that being said like the rowdy three are like season one our job was to yell and break things (laughs) and that was it (laughs) like there there wasn't much prep it was my it's my favorite job to date because i didn't have to yeah i didn't have to prepare anything i just show up like all right what am i yelling today and then you know they'd point us in our direction we'd like figure out what we were going to smash that day and then we just do it over and over again it was amazing (laughs) i i feel like creating something in the spirit of douglas adams with zero prep work is exactly what douglas adams would want you to do (laughs) yeah like honestly best job (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) well as we're getting kind of towards the end of the interview you know i know with the pandemic and everything some people have stuff lined up some people don't some people have secret things that aren't happening yet all that sort of stuff but i'd love to give you an opportunity to let us know what we can look forward to from you um, yeah, I've definitely kept myself busy doing a lot of writing and development. Awesome. Um, I'm starting a restaurant in Vancouver. Oh, congratulations. I was a cook Thank for you. like 16 years. So like, oh, wow. good luck, brother. <laughs> yeah. I mean, opening in a pandemic is not ideal, but yep. <laughs> I, I think it's going to work out timing wise by the time we open, hopefully the vaccine will have rolled out and, you know, things will have settled down. Um, Canada's not as bad as the States numbers wise. So <laughs> You know, it, it's also okay, but we have like that. maybe three, four months until we're open. Yeah. So I, fingers crossed it works out. Um, I have a couple of shows in development. I'm still hopeful for my, my role of Ryan Choi to come back at some point. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of that series. And, and that was like another dream role that I got to uh, play for a short while. So I, I hope they, they bring them back on in the DC universe, uh, TV universe. Um, that would be awesome. Yeah, I've been producing and developing a lot of uh, features and a couple of TV shows as well. So we'll see how far I can take those. Um, they've been exciting. I can't 
really give you much more details <laughs> into that, but there are various sizes. I, you know, I did a in- horror indie movie um, two months ago in Vegas. So my first pandemic shoot. Um, but the ones that I'm putting together are all quite large and, um, yeah, I can't, I can't share it just yet. <laughs> That's but we'll see. Maybe fine. it doesn't happen. If it doesn't happen at some point, I can't, but if it does, then I can't. <laughs> nice. Well, so that we can find out if that thing does happen, how can our fans find you on social media? Uh, you can follow me uh, at Osric Chow on all things. I luckily I'm the only one and, uh, <laughs> I, oh, on Facebook, it's Kevin Tren AP. Um, I just, the, the, the character on Supernatural has become such a large part of me. I dedicated my Facebook page to it. That's awesome. <laughs> well, uh, Osric, thank you so much for being on our show, man. We really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for being a part of a show that was integral to like one of my child growing up and also just me being a giant fan of it. So thank you very much. <laughs> oh, th- thank you for having me, Gabe. Thank you for coming so prepared with these awesome questions. And, <laughs> yeah. I-, I wish you and your family the best in this time as well. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, man. <laughs> on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, and YouTube for behind-the-scenes information and more content! Thinking Outside the Long Box is a barren space production! Ha <laughs> ha!